Our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. And one of the ways we do that is through what we do here on Sunday mornings and, and bringing people into this room and into our Gen Kids ministry and then into our student ministry on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and, and getting, growing people into a loving relationship with Christ. But another way we do it is to meet the very real physical needs that people have. You know, we partner with these organizations and they understand that the, the real issue with people is spiritual needs. What people really need are to have their spiritual needs met. But some people won't even notice that you're meeting their spiritual needs until you meet their physical needs. And so that's why we do things like on behalf of the hungry. So whether you call Genesis Church your home, uh, whether you came with a friend or family member, uh, maybe you drive by here on a regular basis and see the signs or see the flags and you just thought you'd check it out because it's Easter Sunday or maybe you're in the wrong church. I don't know why you're here, but whatever brought you here this morning, we are so glad you're here. It's Easter and uh, today we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. That Jesus has risen, he's risen from the dead. And that fact, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, that changes everything. Now, I know there are people in this room that uh, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you don't really know about the whole church thing, you're not sure about Jesus, and maybe that's a little weird to you uh, that we worship a guy that rose from the dead. But for those of us who have that relationship with Christ, that changes everything. Well, we're in this teaching series we're calling The Chosen One. And it's, uh, it's taken from uh, a book of, of the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, actually. And this was written several hundred years uh, before Jesus was born, but where God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says this in Isaiah 42, 1. He says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Now, notice this verse is written in future tense. I will put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. But we believe that this was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And what we've said throughout this series is that, you know, all throughout history, uh, and, and even today, there's a lot of questions about Jesus. Like, who is Jesus? Is he really the chosen one who was sent by God to bring his spirit to earth? Is he really the one that was chosen uh, you know, to, to uh, bring justice to the nations? And so what we said when we started planning this series is what better way to investigate who Jesus is than to look at who he says he is? And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking five statements. We call them I am statements of Jesus, times where he said, I am dot, dot, dot. And we're looking at those five statements and uh, seeing what Jesus said about himself. And so today, we're looking at one of those statements. It's a statement that comes out of the Gospel of John. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And what we're going to look at this morning is, is the context in which Jesus made this statement. And to do that, I have to tell you the story about another guy who died a guy by the name of Lazarus. And so his story is in John chapter 11. That's where we're going to spend our whole morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it to John 11. Uh, like I said, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in here. If you have a, a phone or a, a tablet that you usually look at your Bible on, go ahead and get that out. I won't be offended, I promise. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we have one for you. And so we have one just like this that's at the Info Hub just outside these doors. Uh, we'd love for you to pick one up and take it home with you. It's our gift to you. Um, you can go get it right now if you want, if you want to read along, or you can go get it after the service. But we'd love to have you read along with us. If you don't want to do any of those things, uh, most of the verses are going to be on the screen, so you can just look up here. But uh, John 11, we're going to start with verse 1. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, it says, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so what's happening now is this bad news. I mean, this is serious. Most of us, I think at some point in our lives, have faced some bad news, right? We, we get challenging times. And in fact, maybe you're here today and like you've recently faced some bad news. Maybe the one that you love is sick. Or maybe it's you that's sick. You just got that diagnosis and you just can't believe what the doctor said. Or maybe you recently found out your job's being eliminated or it's being transferred uh, to another town. Or you know, maybe your marriage hasn't turned out the way you planned. Maybe you just discovered your child's going through some things that you just didn't know about and you just found out about them now. But whatever it is, you're getting some bad news. You've gotten some bad news. You're, you're, you're doubting. You're hurting. Well, I have to tell you that you may be here this morning because coming to church is what you do on Easter Sunday. And maybe you're just here to go through the motions or you're here to shut up that neighbor that wouldn't stop inviting you or, uh, or that family member. But, but I believe that God has something even greater for you yet this morning. No matter why you're here, if you're hurting, if you're troubled, God knows that because you are the one that he loves. And he wants to do something amazing for you, just like we're going to see him do for Lazarus. I believe you are not here by accident this morning. And so Jesus gets this news that his friend is sick. And from here, what Jesus does is pretty amazing. It's a little unconventional. It's pretty fascinating. So let's go on. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran to his side and immediately healed him. That's not what your Bible says? That's not what my Bible says either. If I were writing the story, that's what it would say. Because it doesn't make sense that Lazarus is sick and Jesus loves Lazarus and Jesus, it says, he stayed behind for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, I have to point this out every time I teach this passage because it's just so amazing to me to see what happens. Now, Here's what I know. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's pretty popular. Um, he is healing people. He is teaching. Uh, scripture says as one who had authority. And so Jesus is in demand. Uh, everywhere he goes, he's drawn big crowds. People want to see him, and they want to be healed by him, and they want to hear him. And so if Scripture said, for instance, uh, Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, and Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but he was really busy... And so it took him two more days to finish up what he was doing, and then he went back to Judea. I would get that. I would understand that. But that's not what it says. And I, I pointed this out last time I taught it. But my Bible says Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, and he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed behind for two more days. It says so. Like that's the reason Jesus stayed behind for two more days. Why? Well, because God's ways are not our ways. And Jesus is going to do something that's going to defy everybody's expectations of him. He's going to do something amazing that brings glory to God. 
And so here's what happens. Uh, the next few verses, it kind of goes like this. Uh, Jesus stays behind for two more days. Everybody expects him to help, but he doesn't. He stays behind for two more days. And then finally he says, okay, let's go back to Judea. Now, Judea is a region. Think of it like a state, okay? And, and Jerusalem is a city in Judea. And, and Bethany is a couple miles from Jerusalem. It's also in Judea. So um, Jesus says after a couple days, hey, let's go back to Judea because Lazarus is from Bethany. Uh, they don't want Jesus to go back. They know that the last time they were in Jerusalem, uh, things didn't go so well. And there are some people that are after Jesus that maybe want to take his life. And so, uh, but Jesus won't have any part in hiding. He knows he needs to go back. And he responds to them by saying, no, Lazarus has fallen asleep. We need to go wake him up. Now, he knows that Lazarus hasn't, isn't just taking a nap. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is that Lazarus has died. Now, this in itself is pretty amazing because if you think about what Jesus has heard so far, he only knows that Lazarus is sick. He hasn't heard that he's died, but Jesus knows that Lazarus has died. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This might be a really tricky concept, especially if you're not, uh, not around church very often, but Jesus is going like, to raise Lazarus from the dead. But, but what he's going to do, it's not really for Lazarus. All right? Lazarus is going to come back. He's dead. He's going to come to life. That's going to be good. I mean, Jesus probably misses Lazarus. He probably wants to spend more time with him. But, but I, and I hate to ruin the rest of the story. But do you know what eventually happened to Lazarus? He died again. It doesn't say that in Scripture, but I know that because, well, we just don't see many 2,000-year-old men running around, do we? Like, there aren't people that are like, you know, Jesus brought me back from the dead and I just can't die. We don't see those people. And so uh, whenever Jesus healed people, or when he raised people from the dead, the sick person is not the primary beneficiary. Instead, he always does it to make a bigger point, to to point people in a direction and to give glory to his Father in heaven. In fact, if you have your Bible still open, look at verse 15. It it says this, it says, uh, Jesus said, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Who's he doing this for? Well, he's doing it for the people. It's for the people around him. It's for Mary and Martha. It's for the disciples. And so what I want to do today as we go through this story is I want to look at three people who by this one interaction with Jesus are going to be changed forever. What we see is three people who have, well, they've kind of reached a dead end in their life. You know, they're, they're going down there. Did anybody come down 31 to get here this morning? You know, when you get to Old Meridian Street, uh, you reach a dead end, don't you? You got to make a left turn or else you're going to end up in a great big pile of dirt. Well, we've got some people in this story who've reached a dead end in their life. And so I want to look at these three people and, and how they were dying in a way. Like there are three people in the story that are kind of dying on the inside. And we're going to see the difference that through this one act Jesus made in their lives. And hopefully this will encourage you too. So verse 15, Jesus says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Now, I want you to hear the drama in what Thomas says here. Think of it like this. Let us also go so that we may die with him. You hear the drama in that statement, right? You're not going without me. Does anybody have drama in your house? Anybody? Does anybody have daughters? You have daughters? You've probably got drama in your house, right? Next time your daughter is being dramatic, call her Didymus. <laughs> Just say, 
All right, Didymus, enough with the drama. You know, she'll say, what? And you say, oh, it's just something some guy said at church, you know, but, but you know, Thomas is being dramatic here. But, but listen, he, here's, here's what's happening. He didn't know that Jesus could do what he said he could do. He didn't think that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. Not only that, but he didn't even think that Jesus could protect his disciples. See, Thomas, well, Thomas was dead in his doubts. Maybe you're here today and you're dead in your doubts. In fact, Thomas, even if you don't read the Bible very often, if you don't know anything else about most of the disciples, you probably know that Thomas had a nickname. What was it? Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He, had, he was so well known for doubting that he has a nickname. You have to earn a nickname. You know that, right? Like you can't give yourself a nickname and have it stick. I was uh, at our Noblesville campus last night, and one of my good friends is the campus pastor over there. His name is Ben Krause. Ben was here a couple weeks ago. You may have seen him. Um, I told them last night that Ben has a nickname. His nickname is Moose. And I asked how many people in that room that know and love Ben Krause knew that, and about two people raised their hand. And I said, you know why you don't know his nickname is Moose? Because he gave it to himself. You can't give yourself a nickname. You have to earn it. Are there any Seinfeld fans in the room? Do you remember an episode where George Costanza tries to give himself a nickname? He wants to be called T-Bone. You remember that? And so he starts calling himself T-Bone around the office, and nobody catches on. And at the end, he gets another nickname. He gets uh, the nickname Coco the Monkey because he was acting like a monkey. You know, you have to earn a nickname. Basketball. Basketball is rife with nicknames. The best nicknames in the world are probably from the NBA. You know, when I was growing up, it was Dr. J and Magic Johnson and Larry Legend. And then along came probably the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. And uh, there are a lot of guys in the NBA that can jump and that can dunk the ball. But Michael could jump so high and so far that you actually believe that he was flying through the air. And so he got this nickname, Air Jordan, you know, Air Jordan, what a great nickname, right? And, and even, did you know it's, this year it's been 30 years since Michael Jordan entered the NBA? Can you believe that? 30 years. But 30 years after Michael Jordan entered the NBA, every pair of tennis shoes that Nike sells that has his picture on it, they're called Air Jordans, right? Air Jordan. He earned that nickname. You have to earn a nickname. And Thomas has earned his nickname, Doubting Thomas. He's got doubts. He's got valid doubts, probably. He's really just being reasonable. Like, why go back now, Jesus? What, what, what good is going to come from this? You know, most of us have probably had spiritual doubts in our lives. If you would say that you've never had a doubt, well, I'd say you're probably not telling the whole truth. And I think everyone at some point or another is, has prayed a prayer and like really believed that God was going to come through, but he, but he didn't. Or, or maybe you grew up in church or around church and your family went to church and really claimed to be Christian, but then like, dad cheated and left, or, or mom took off and left you and the other parent to just struggle on your own. Or maybe it was after you went to college and you had this one professor that was so smart and really seemed to know what he was talking about, but he thought you were silly for what you believed, and every time that you'd bring up God in class, he would just strike you down with some comment or some um, uh, insult and you thought, you, you walked away feeling so silly about what you believed, and, and you thought, you know what, everything that I ever know, I'm just doubting now. Or maybe you believed in God and something really terrible happened to you or, or to someone close to you. You know, when things happen like that, we tend to ask these questions like, God, if, if you're so powerful, why did this happen to me? If you're sovereign, why are you letting me go through this? You know, whatever happened, whatever you've experienced, you're probably realizing that maybe you've got more in common with Thomas than you thought. 
There's something dead inside of you. Maybe you're dead in your doubts. So let's go on. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That's an important detail. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, this is really unusual because if you know anything about Mary and Martha, you probably remember another story about them, the story of a dinner party. You know, maybe you remember the story where Mary and Martha invite Jesus over for dinner, and uh, they're, they're preparing the meal, and uh, well, Martha's preparing the meal, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? And so when we read this story, if you remember this story, if you've read it, maybe you know that like Martha is getting things ready, and she's cooking the food, and she's cleaning up, and then after dinner, she's taking the dishes away, and she's washing them. And, and Mary, the whole time, she just wants to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's all she's doing. She just wants to be with Jesus. And now Jesus is coming to her town. He's on his way to her house, and Martha goes out to meet him. But Mary stays at home. What gives? Well, Mary is our second person. She's reached a dead end. She is dead in her discouragement. Maybe you're here today and you're dead in your discouragement. See, see Mary's no different than many of us. We get discouraged a lot. We, we look, may look at the situation around us and we start to lose hope. And, and in Mary's case, she didn't want to be around Jesus right now. In Mary's mind, Jesus was the cause of her discouragement. You know, in our situation, we can do the same thing. Uh, a lot of times we get discouraged. Uh, we, we stop coming to church. We, we start visit, stop visiting our connection group. We, uh, we stop hanging around our Christian friends. When we're in the depths of despair or when we're caught in a pattern of sin, when we're embarrassed or, or ashamed of what we're doing, we just don't want to be around Christ or around anything that even reeks of God. Like we're discouraged, we're ashamed, we're, we're disappointed. Well, that's where Mary finds herself in this story. And she stayed home. You know, what does it matter? My brother's dead. What can, what can Jesus do now? Maybe that's where you are today. You think, what difference can it make? You know, what can Jesus do in my life? He can't change anything. I'm still alone. I'm still depressed. I'm still stuck in that job that I can't get out of. I've made a fool of myself. I've embarrassed myself. My reputation is ruined. My marriage will never be what I hoped it would be. Discouraged. I wonder, especially on Sundays, how many of us put on a smile on the outside, but on the inside, we're barely holding it together, like we're dead in our discouragement. See, here's what I know. Following Christ doesn't mean we get what we want. But here's why this matters. At this point in the story, there's only one person in the world that can help Mary, and that's Jesus. And in your situation, when you're discouraged, when you're burdened by despair, when you're disappointed in yourself, there's really only one hope for you too, and that's Jesus Christ. I want to show you the story now of a man from our church and how this played out in his life. Take a look at this. I was born in 1970 in the city of Chicago uh, to a teenage mom who uh, made the brave choice to uh, carry me to term and then give me up for adoption. My interest in history and, and, and 
and understanding what had gone on in the past, um, interest in science and, and even science fiction uh, kind of led me to at some point declare first to my friends and then to my family that I, I didn't believe in God anymore. I fell in real quickly with the wrong crowd. I started using drugs. Before I knew it, my parents had me in rehab at the age of 17. I kind of got my, my, uh, my stuff together and, and was able to make another go at things. I went into college and uh, worked on my history degree. At that time, I met uh, the woman who would become my first wife. And, uh, and we got married. We were classic soulmates. We had everything in common. We were best friends. Uh, we loved each other. That relationship was, was hugely important to me. And we moved down here, uh, I would say, in uh, 96 it was. And um, one thing led to another. Eventually, we, uh, she de decided that uh, she was gay. And she told me this one day, and uh, I was devastated. This, this was one of these upsetting the boat type of, of things that just shook, uh, shook me to the core. So in, in uh, kind of a real low point bout of depression, I um, decided that I was gonna, I was gonna end it. And I was gonna, I used to have a gun and um, I was gonna go and, and get that gun and, and just be done. I just wanted to be done. There was nothing, I was at a, you know, kind of a dead end, low paying job and there was really no, there was no future. There's nothing to, to look forward to or, or live for. But for some reason, I got down on my knees instead and I cried out to Jesus then and there and uh, and as, a, as, a, as intellectual as I am I would love to say that you know I, I thought about it and I reasoned and I said well no this this you know I was wrong and Jesus Jesus is the way and and and, and I this is I'm gonna change my life around. no it was it was something total totally I was uh, totally convinced that that there was no God and at that moment for some reason um, I called out to him, and I knew that he had saved me. You know, I'm, I was always a questioner, always a doubter, so I, I picked up the Bible myself and, and, um, and taught myself, learned as much as I could, read, and, um, and still to this day, um, he hasn't answered every question, but I know that unlike any other um, faith that, that Christianity is, is grounded in history. It's grounded in the truth of what happened. Finding my way back to God was being found by Him. You know, in, the, in the mess I had made of my life, He found me and uh, restored me to Himself. Called me to Himself. Nothing, nothing that I did See, Jim was dead in his discouragement, literally very nearly dead in his discouragement and in his doubt. But just like God reached into Jim's life and rescued him from his doubt and rescued him from discouragement, he can do the same for you. We've got one more person I want to look at in this story before we close. Uh, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, remember Martha's the other sister, 
if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, God, if only you were here, what took you so long? How long had Lazarus been in the tomb? Four days, right? This is why this is important. There was a Jewish belief at the time. It's not a biblical belief. It's not a Christian belief. But there was a Jewish belief that the spirit, when somebody died, the spirit would stay with the body for three days. And on the third day, it would depart. So Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And so in Martha's mind, he's not just dead. He's dead, dead. In fact, if your Bible is a King James Version, you may get to the verse where Martha is describing it to Jesus, and she says, he stinketh. He was dead. He was smelly. He had been in the grave, and he was dead. Because of that, Martha was dead in the delay. Maybe you're here today, and you're dead in the delay. You know, for her, it was God's timing that took all she had left. Why did God take so long to get there? Jesus, if you had only been there, don't miss what she said. Don't, don't miss what's in her heart. She said, God, if you had only been here, and I know some of you here today can relate to that. You're dead in the delay. You're confused by God and his delay in your life because you've been waiting on God to move and he hasn't. You've been praying a prayer and it's still unanswered. I mean, if you're single, maybe you're praying for that special someone to come into your life or you know, you're married and you're frustrated that you still can't have a child and people all around you are getting pregnant. God, why haven't you done that for me yet? You're praying for someone you love to come to Christ, your husband or your wife or a family member. You're praying for your child to make better decisions. You're praying for physical healing. You're praying for a sense of significance or satisfaction. But, but even in the disappointment, I want you to see the faith that Martha has. In verse 22, she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. See, here's what Martha knows that I desperately want you to leave with today. If, if you've experienced frustration, if you're disappointed by what appears to be God's lack of movement or involvement in your life, just know this. Just because God hasn't, doesn't mean he won't. Just because God hasn't, doesn't mean he won't. That's what Martha knows. She says, that, I know that even now, you know, even now when we're dead in our doubts and dead in our discouragement and dead in the delay, she says, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now, God can work through the most difficult thing that ever happened to you in your life and do something beyond your wildest dreams. Now, following Jesus doesn't mean we always get what we want. Jim will tell you that he didn't want a divorce Mary and Martha will tell you they didn't want their brother to die. But here's what Jim saw in his story and what Mary and Martha are about to find out. Following Jesus doesn't mean we get what we want, but we also don't get what we deserve. Look what he told Martha, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now Martha's being polite. It's kind of like if you're at a funeral and... and uh, a friend of the deceased says, well, I know he's in a better place. You know, that's what she's saying. He's in a better place. I know it's all going to be okay. I'm going to get to see him a day again someday. Everything's going to be swell. But no, but Jesus, see, Jesus has something even greater planned for her. And, and Jesus's plan uh, for all of us doesn't start when we die. It starts today. 
And that's when he says in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he says this, do you believe this? Which is a fascinating question because Jesus knows that Martha believes this. She just said a couple, a couple sentences ago, she said, uh, she said, I know that even now God will give you whatever you want. And so why did Jesus ask her that question about, do you believe? Well, I think that that question's for you and me. Like, that's what Jesus wants to ask us today. Where do you believe? Where's your faith? And just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't, as Martha is about to find out. Let's skip down to that part of the story. Verse, let's go to verse 38. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. If you read your Bible very much, that should look very, very familiar to you. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He stinketh. For he had been in the tomb for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That's why Jesus does this, right? I told you. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people listening, standing here, so that they may believe you, or believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I want to show you something that I think is really important to understand this story. If you go back to our key verse this morning, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That comes before Lazarus was raised from the dead. See, when Jesus said this, he hadn't even resurrected anybody yet. You know, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, but nobody's come back to life yet. At this point, Jesus is Babe Ruth pointing at the bleachers when he's about to hit a home run. At this point, Jesus is, and please forgive me, I hate to make this comparison. Jesus is LeBron James saying, not one championship, not two, not three, not four, right? He's making a bold prediction, a bold statement, and it would be a really cruel statement if he couldn't back it up. See, it's not a boast from Jesus. It's a promise. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So you may think, God, if only you had been there, I wouldn't have lost my job. But maybe you believe that even now, somehow, he can come through and take care of your family. If only you had been there, my child wouldn't be in this situation. But even now, God, I know you can help us out of it. Even now, when you're discouraged, the presence of God can give you peace. Even now, God can reach into your chaotic life and home and marriage and bring healing to your family. Even now, he can reach your neighbor. Even now, he can meet your needs. Even now, he can give you hope for your future. 
Even now, he can help you with that family conflict you've been dealing with. Even now, he can quiet the voices of doubt in your head. Even now, he can overcome your insecurity. Even now, he can help you find your calling. Even now, he can give you strength to persevere through that problem. Even now, he can cure that disease. When God doesn't show up in your time, it may be full of so many questions. Your heart could be so cold and and so far from God, but even now, On a beautiful day like today, God can soften your heart and draw you into his presence. You may think you're dead, but Jesus can bring you back to life. Some of you here today are are, are dead on the inside. You've lost faith. You've lost hope. you're, You're discouraged. You're doubting. It's like you're trapped in a tomb and you don't have the strength to roll the stone away. But I want you to see that Lazarus was just a preview of what was to come. Because, see, as cool as this story is, as as powerful as this story is, Jesus' best was yet to come. Because not long after this, Jesus himself would die. And he would be buried in a grave. And he would have a stone rolled in front of the tomb to keep him in. And then he himself would rise from the dead. Jesus lived and died so that we could die, then live. And see, here's what I want you to hear. Resurrection is not an event. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And on this Easter, I want you to see and believe that as Jesus rolled away the stone for Lazarus, as he rolled away the stone for himself, he can do the same for you. You can emerge from your doubts. You can recover from your discouragement. You can get past the delay. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be set free. And not because you're strong, but because he's strong. You can experience his love in your life, not because you deserve it, but because that's what he does. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. And even now, he can come through in your life. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm so thankful for the story. And uh, God, just knowing it's not just a story, it's a true event that uh, you made happen. And God, as we look at the things going on in our lives, we can, we can feel so dead on the inside. We, we can feel like Thomas and like Mary and like Martha and just think, God, where are you? Why aren't you giving me proof of your existence? Why aren't you showing up in time? God, why am I so discouraged? If I'm really trying hard to follow after you, why do these things keep happening all around me? But God, we know that every time you do something amazing, it's not for us, but it's to bring glory to you and to bring glory to your Father. And I just pray right now, even in the midst of a beautiful morning like Easter morning, we know that there are people here that have have that relationship with you and they're trying to follow hard after you, but God, that they're, they're discouraged. They're doubting. They're wondering if you're going to show up in time. They're wondering if you're going to ever bring their husband to you or bring their wife to you or if you're ever going to heal that sickness or if you're ever going to answer that prayer. God, I just pray this morning that you would encourage them with that, that we know that we can have great confidence that even though you haven't, doesn't mean you won't. And God, I just pray for people in this room that have no relationship with you. They, they just don't know what they believe about Jesus. So they're waiting for you to answer all the questions. And, and God, I just pray, just like in Jim's story, that that they would have the faith to take a step forward and take a leap 
uh, in their faith this morning, that even though they don't know the answers to all those questions, that they want that relationship with you and they, they want to be brought back from the dead. And so if you're here today and you feel like you need Jesus in your life, you know that he's been pursuing you for a while and you want to come under his lordship, you just pray this prayer along with me. Just say, God, I need you in my life. I've messed up and I've tried so many times to fix this myself, but I can't. And so I I want you to come into my dead life and bring me back to life. God, I I need you to be the resurrection and the life for me. God, I accept your lordship in my life. Lord, it's just we come to you and for the next couple minutes with uh, through worship and song. I, I just pray that even, even now in these last couple songs that you would reach down into our despair, reach down into our discouragement, reach down into our doubts and you would rescue us out of that, that you could prove yourself once again to be the God who rescues, the God that, that resurrects, the God who brings dead things back to life. We pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.